2 Samuel chapter 19. Prayed about what to do tonight. Tonight is several, several different things happening today or this week, I guess you'd say. Am I on now? Nope, still not on. I am on now. All right. He's waving at me. I wasn't on. Several things are happening tonight. Just uh, three minutes ago, if they started on time, the Super Bowl started. Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles are playing for a trophy that will one day burn all to pieces. Now, I ain't going to lie. If I get home in time and I get my PJs on, get whatever supper we're going to have tonight in my belly, I'm liable to turn it on. I ain't going to try to act super spiritual. But I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't miss church to watch no football game. Amen? And thank God, ain't no sense in me fussing y'all about that because guess what? You is here. Amen? And thank God for that. And so, so it's Super Bowl. And I thought, well, you preach on Super Bowl night. And the only thing I can think of was maybe the death in the pot. Y'all know that story about the death in the pot? That's Super Bowl, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. Then I thought, well, Tuesday's love day. Old Valentine's. You're welcome, men, for that reminder. You have two days to get whatever it is. If you wait till Wednesday and just say, I didn't forget. I just was hiding it. When your day to be special, you can get the sale on Wednesday and get a cheaper gift, all right? There's your little, there's your little marital advice. Don't charge any extra for marital counseling if you need it. <laughs> Valentine's Day. I looked up some stuff about Valentine's Day. Found out there's about five or six different stories of how it came up together, and nobody knows, really. But I tell you what, I, but I tell you this, it's come from somewhere, and usually it always ties to do with the Catholic Church. If there's any reason to be against something, if a Catholic Church starts it, I'm about against it. Amen. But Valentine's, but you know what? I'm not against the day to tell my wife that I love her and tell my kids that I love them. Matter of fact, I'm so for it. I do it 365 days uh, a week, but you better believe I'm going to do something a little special for her on Tuesday. I thought, well, what can we preach? Man, preach a love message. Preach a love message. I thought about love not the world, neither things that are in the world. Amen. thought I would preach a real positive message about that. But I was reading, and I thought about this story of a man by the name of Mephibosheth and his relationship with a king named David. And uh, I want to just bring some things out. May, may get preaching gear or not, I don't know, but I just want to bring on some things. I want to talk to you tonight about how to love the king. How to love the king. You find your place in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 24. I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I want to read to you just a few verses here. We'll pray and then we'll be seated. We'll try to give you what I believe the Lord's put on our heart for tonight. 2 Samuel 19 verse 24. The Bible says, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. It came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore, when is not thou with me, Mephibosheth? The answer, My lord, oh, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. 
he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my lord the king is an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba, divide the land. Listen to what he says. And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all. For as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And as we think about today, we think about this evening, there's a lot of people who are showing where their love really is tonight. They're showing that their love is more for an entertainment spectacle or an athletic event or something like that, more than even your house. They're people that have love for you, love for this world more than they have love for you. This week, people are going to show they have love for their spouse or their children more than they they love you. Father, tonight, would you help us to learn a little bit better how to love you? How to love you better as the days go forward? How to love you more openly as the days go forward? Lord, we love you, but God, we want to show you that we love you. I pray you'd help us now preach with power on the Holy Ghost of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, when I say Mephibosheth, many of you are, know your Bible enough to know the story behind this story here. Uh, we think about the, the story of Mephibosheth. We're going to get there in just a moment. But this part of the story gets overlooked a lot of the times. Uh, this part of the story where David the king has went off hiding uh, from the attacks of Absalom and David leaves Mephibosheth for a while and he comes back and they are reunited and we find a reunion between David and Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth is a man who loves the king more than he loves his own life. There is a lesson in here. There's an application in this text, in this story, if we'll listen for us that we can see by testimony how this man loved David and we can see an example of how we are to love of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we are to love our king, love the king, the king of kings. Now, we talk about loving the Lord, but I think that sometimes we do not demonstrate that we love Jesus like we ought to love him. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, God being my helper, that we serve a risen Savior that is worthy of our love and he's worthy of our devotion and that we ought to give him the glory or to give him the honor or to give him the love that he deserves. And so I want to look at just three things real quickly tonight and we'll go to the house. Number one we see Mephibosheth's absolute devotion to King David. Look in verse 24. Verse 24 he said the son of Saul, Mephibosheth the son of Saul came down to meet the king had her neither dressed his feet 
nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came in again in peace. Again, again in peace. Verse 26, uh, Mephibosheth says, My Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For thy servant, talking about himself, I will saddle me an ass, and I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. Mephibosheth is a lame man. He cannot walk. And he said this, I was going to go with you. I was going to ride with you. Uh, but, and I was going to, I had to have my servant saddle an ass for me. And he didn't do it. And he lied. Verse number 28. He said, or verse 27. And he slandered thy servant unto the Lord. My God. That servant Ziba, he has told you lies on me. He told you that I didn't want to go with you. But I had a desire to go with you. I wanted to be with you more than I wanted to be here. I wanted to be with you. But the, the servant, the servant slandered me uh, to you. But he said this, but my Lord, the king, is an angel of God. He said, you're sin of God. You're an angel of God. You do whatever you want to do. Because whatever you do is right. I believe what you do is right. Verse 28 said this, for all my father's house were but dead men before my Lord, the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thine own table. What right therefore have I yet to cry anymore? I don't have anything to complain about, Lord. I don't have anything to complain to you. I was a dead man. I should have been dead but you saved me and you brought me up to your table and you treated me like your own. I don't have anything to complain about Lord. And then in verse number 30 he said let Zeba take the whole land. Let him have all the property. As long as I've got you king. As long as you're here with me king. That is all I need. That is all I desire. I don't need the property. I don't need the land. All I need is you king. That shows some devotion doesn't it to the, the king. Shows a devotion to King David. But but why? Why does he why is he devoted to King David? What is the cause of his devotion? Would you take your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter number 9? The reason Mephibosheth was so devoted to David is because of what David had done for him. In Samuel chapter 2 Samuel chapter number 9, starting in verse number 1, the Bible said, and David said, Is there yet any? that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now if you don't know, Jonathan is Saul's son. If you don't know, Saul is the first king of Israel. And Saul, Saul done wrong in, in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord withdrew his presence from Saul and, and removed the throne, or the, yeah, the throne and the crown from Saul's family and, and anointed David to be the next king in line. Saul had a son named Jonathan who should have, by way of heir of a throne, should be the next king. But Jonathan and David, uh, they were close. They were tight. They were blood brothers. And they made a covenant one with another. They were friends that had each other's back. They were closer than brothers even could be. And, and Jonathan and Saul died in the same battle. So i just give you some background of who Jonathan and Saul were. Look in verse 2. And so David asked, is there anybody in Saul's family left that I could give them uh, grace and I could show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 2. For, and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? 
And Sheba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. And then, or then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, and the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And we will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon me such a dead dog as I am? Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant said to him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits and thy, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my Lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my, this is the third time now, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat, there it is again, continually at the king's table and was lame both on his feet. Just You say, wow, that's really great and everything, but what does that have to do with anything? Well, David's the new king in town. David, by law and by justice, has a right to kill everybody left over in Saul's family. Expect especially a grandson of the former king. David's got every right to kill Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is, he is lame, he is crippled, he cannot walk because of the Bible tells us in an earlier part that they were running for their lives and a servant dropped Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth was lame because of a fall. And Mephibosheth could not walk on his own. He was not strong enough uh, to get up on his legs and do anything on his own. Can you imagine uh, when uh, Mephibosheth looked out the house that day and he saw the caravan of the king uh, headed down his driveway? Mephibosheth must have thought, this is the end. This is the end of my life. I cannot run from him. I cannot hide from him. The king is surely coming to kill me and I deserve it. I'm a dog. I'm Saul's grandson. I mean, I'm lame. I can't add anything to the kingdom anyway. Uh, he said, I deserve to die, and the king's coming to kill me. And all of a sudden, when the king walks through the door, I'm sure a herald announced the king's coming, uh, and fear gripped uh, Mephibosheth, uh, and the king walked through the door, and the Bible said Mephibosheth fell down at the feet of the king. Uh, I believe he thought, surely, as I bow down my head to the king, uh, he's going to take my head off. Uh, but that's not what he heard. He didn't hear a sword uh, pulling out of a sheath. Uh, he did not hear uh, chains uh, from a prison guard. Uh, 
No, he heard these words. Fear not. Fear not for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there he heard the words of mercy and he heard the words of grace coming from the king. And he heard the words fear not coming from the king. Why would Mephibosheth love the king so much? It's because Mephibosheth was surely to die. Mephibosheth was supposed to die. But yet David instead of exacting justice he exacted mercy on Mephibosheth. He executed grace on Mephibosheth. And there he spared Mephibosheth's life. Well you ought to just think about where you come from. <laughs> you were crippled from a fall. You were lame and were not strong enough to stand on your own because of a fall. And you deserve to die. And you deserve judgment. And you deserve justice. Do you remember the days when the caravan of the king pulled up your driveway and man the Holy Ghost convicted your soul of sin and death and in hell and you had fear gripped your heart thinking this is the day I'm surely going to die. This is the day and I deserve to die. I'm a dog. I can't add nothing to this world. I'm bound for hell. I'm bound in my sin and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm crippled from a fall and I deserve to die. But do you remember when a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a soul winner, a friend, a somebody herald, here comes the king. Here comes the king. And when the king walked by your way, you fell down at his feet. And you didn't hear a sword come out to cut your head off. And you didn't hear chains come out to lock you up. But you heard the words, fear not. I've come to show you mercy. I've come to show you grace. I've come to show you love. I'm going to spare your life. Why did Mephibosheth love David so much? Because had it not been for David, Mephibosheth would have been dead. Had it not been for David, Mephibosheth would have found the justice that law put on him. But yet he found mercy all in the eyes and all in the heart of the king. Think about what you were before God saved you. Think about uh, this, how you sinned against the Lord. Think about if you got what you deserved this evening, you'd be in hell. You'd be in hell this evening. Think about if you received mercy. You'd be forever separated from the love of God. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, we've received grace. And because the Lord loved us and gave His Son for us and to die for our sin, we, thank God, can live. Thank God we ought to love the king, like Mephibosheth, loved the king. Hey, listen, we owe him a debt of love and a debt of devotion. We, if we stop and think that Jesus willingly suffered all that he did just so we might be saved by grace, it ought to stir our heart this morning or this evening. It ought to stir our soul and to think about the love that he showed to us. And it ought to stir our heart to love him because he's worthy of our love. This evening, I believe this, if that doesn't stir your heart to loving the Lord better, I believe there's something wrong with your heart. I believe there's something wrong with your heart if you do not love the Lord for what He's done for you, the cause of His love, but then the course of His love. 
Mephibosheth's great love for David translated to a life of service and devotion. Because he loved the king, it showed up in his life. Mephibosheth lived a life of total devotion and absolute faithfulness to the king. You know, I believe this, if you love the Lord with everything in you, with your entire being, with all your heart and all your uh, soul and all your mind and all your strength, you won't have to wear a t-shirt that I love Jesus. There ain't nothing wrong with wearing a t-shirt that says I love Jesus, by the way. I'm just saying you won't have to for people to know it. You won't have to have a bumper sticker that says I love Jesus. Ain't nothing wrong with having a bumper sticker that says I love Jesus, but you won't have to do it. If you really love Jesus, it's going to show in your life. And you won't have to run around saying, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I find a lot of people, a lot of times the people that are loudest about that is the ones who life, life does not line up with that statement. I mean, we find people in the jail all the time. In the jail, oh, but I love the Lord. Well, you got a funny way of showing it. I love the Lord, but I smoke my dope. I've had people in my family say, well, I love the Lord, but I love my beer too. I love the Lord, but I love my dope too. I love my Lord, but I love, I love wild women too. That's an oxymoron. You love the Lord, it's going to show up in your life. You know, it, don't, it won't have to be said because it's going to be clearly seen by how you act. Everything you do is going to emanate that you love the Lord. It'll be seen in your prayer life. It'll be seen in the attention you give to Scripture. It'll be, in, it'll be seen in your attendance you give to worshiping the Lord. It'll be seen in your witnessing life. It'll be, center, it'll be seen in all matters and manners of your life. All I'm saying is, when you love Jesus with all your heart, it won't be hidden. You're not going to be able to hide that. You loved him with absolute devotion. The cause, of course. But then, quickly, I see the love. He loved him with absolute dedication. Well, how did, how did uh, Mephibosheth dedicate himself to King David. Well, number one, he forsook the world. He forsook the world. As the grandson of Saul, Mephibosheth had, uh, had every right to lay claim to the throne of the land. But because he loved the king, he refused to get caught up in the affairs of this world. Even when David said, I've already told you and Ziba to split up the land. Even when that was said, verse 30 said, let him have the land. I don't care nothing about the land. I just need you. I've just got, you've treated me like your own son. You've, taught, you've brought me in like your family. You've brought me in and took care of me when I couldn't take care of myself. I, you know what my people said? My people said, I, fors- I forsake the world. See what he did? He replaced his devotion to the king ahead of every selfish ambition that he might have possessed. Now, what a lesson for us. There is always a danger that our connection with this world will override our dedication to Jesus. Listen, for every one of us, there is always a danger that our connection to this world will override our dedication to Jesus. You and I must always be aware. 
We must always be sober and be vigilant. Beware that the cares of this world steal our love for Jesus. 1 John 2 and 15. Love not the world, neither the things this world. Jesus said, if a man hate not his father and mother and brother and sister, his wife and his children, more, if he hate, if he love not the, if he does, if he does love me more than he loves them, he's got to hate his family, hate himself compared to his love for me. He cannot be my love, not the world. Now listen, we engage ourselves in activities of this world that are not necessarily sinful, but if we're not careful. They're override our dedication to the Lord. Like, like, for instance, our careers. Like making a living. Now, there ain't nothing sinful about making a living. Matter of fact, there's everything right about providing for your household. The Bible said a man that won't provide for his own house uh, is worse than an infidel. But watch this. But when your desire for more eclipses your desire for God, then you're in trouble. When your desire to have these things of this world, young person, listen to me, as you're thinking about what God wants you to do with your life, what God wants you to have for you after you get out of school, you better think your desire for more in this world, if it eclipses your desire for God, you will be miserable your entire life. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with having a living, making a living. It's wrong with that, that making a living has you. Ain't nothing wrong with the rest. I can hear Brother Blue telling me many occasions there's nothing spiritual about being tired. He told me on a couple occasions, Brother Will, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. I wish I'd listen to him better. Ain't nothing wrong with resting, but watch this. When resting overrides your worship, then we're in danger of falling. Hey, there's nothing wrong with recreation. But when it takes us away from the presence of the Lord, then we're in trouble. Listen, we've got to live in this world. There's no way of escaping that. But watch this. Listen to me, listen to me, listen. When the world starts living in you, that's when you get in trouble. You've got to live in this world. and can't get away from that. But when the world starts living in you, that's when you've got a danger of overriding your dedication and your love for the Lord. Nothing wrong with having things, but when things have you, that's when you'll be in trouble. When you allow yourself the luxury of moving toward the world, it won't be long. You'll be more like the world than the Lord who bought you. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be less like this world and more like Jesus. Let, I, I want this church to be more like the Lord and let, I, I think I said that back, I want to be less like the world and more like Jesus. And I want this church to be less like the world and more like Jesus. Amen? I'm serious, friend. We're not making this place look like a, a performance studio. Hello? This ain't going to look like a concert stage. Are you kidding? Listen, I'm telling you, if we ever got that idea, we'd rip this platform off and I'd sit on the floor. Amen. 
We'd rip, I mean, we'd rip, we'd rip the choir loft out, and we would, I'd back myself all the way up to a wall where there ain't nothing but a pulpit. Amen. Hey, listen, we're not going to make this place look like a, a, a platform of this world. We're not going to the concert hall and seeing how they design it, how to figure out what we do. Are you listening? We're not changing the format of our services. I mean, and I know we're changing some stuff. We've been changing some, y'all get what I'm saying, to fit what the world wants. We're not going to go through Ranger or Resaca or Ramhurst and do a poll of what the community would like our church to be doing. You listen, we're not doing it. We're not going to poll. And matter of fact, I'm not being ugly, but we ain't going to poll the pastor and poll the people what y'all want to do either. We're going to look at what the book says. Amen. Brother Ware said it in Sunday school. And those of you who wasn't in the adult Sunday school, let me just give you what he said. You know, we have to offer for your young people. Here it is, here it is. Preaching. Amen. Somebody said, we ought to have a wanna. We do. I want to preach on Sunday morning. I want to preach on Sunday night. And I want to preach on Wednesday night. Amen. And if I'm not the one preaching, I want to hear preaching on Sunday morning. I want to hear preaching on Sunday night. I want to hear preaching on Wednesday night. You know why? Because the foolishness of preaching that saves souls. Amen. We can get an emotional service going on with the cookies and the puppets, but friend, it'll take preaching to see people saved. Amen. Trying to be ugly, but we're going to forsake. We got to forsake the world if we love, love God. What happens if we move toward the world? It won't be long. We're more like the world than we are the Lord who bought us. He, let me tell you some things that he did. He so he forsook the world, but then I'll tell you what else he did. He forgot himself. That Christ, that Christ may increase, but I got to decrease. Look what happens in verse twenty-four. Verse twenty-four. Says this about him. Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet, means he didn't have no shoes on, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day he departed. Now, listen, he's not just being a hippie. Listen, he's not being just some rogue, something. These, these preachers that won't shave, trim their beards up and shit. And I'm not saying he ought not have no beard. I'm not against beards, but I'm against this scrubbly looking mess of a junk on somebody's face. Amen. You know why I don't grow a beard? It's not because I ain't against beards, but I'm against the way it looks on me because I can't grow one out right. And if you can't grow one out, trim that mess off. Amen. That's right. And then looking like a duck dynasty bunch of doofuses. Amen. You say, you wouldn't say that if they was here. I'd say it if they was here. Amen. I'm telling you, you ought to look like something. Amen. Y'all look like something. Watch it. And y'all to, and, and let me say, let me just give some life management skills. And y'all to, y'all to wash your clothes. And put deodorant on. And brush your teeth. Amen. And wash yourself. Amen. With an R. Wash yourself. Amen. Clean yourself up. You ought to smell like, not like a skunk or a polecat. Amen. Come on now. All right. Well, hey, listen, that ain't no nobody. I, as far as I know, y'all smell good tonight. <laughs> I walked through here early. I didn't smell no stinky except these little boys. But, you know, y'all fine. But I'm just, I thought I ought to throw that out there. Mephibosheth is doing this though. He's forsaking himself as a, as a display of mourning for David's return. He's doing this as a display as he is longing for the king. He is going to forsake himself until he has fellowship with the king again. He's forsaking his flesh 
until he can get with the king again. He is leaving behind himself. Watch if there's a lesson for us that our will ought to be swallowed up in the will of the Lord. We ought to come to a place where we lose sight of ourselves and of our own interests and become consumed with and focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought, to just, we, we ought to strive for a place in our Christian life where Jesus becomes more important to us than we are important to us. Now we're important to ourselves. You ain't going to sit here and lie to me that you ain't. It don't take long. You're going to put something in your mouth to feed your belly. You love yourself. Amen. It, it, it ain't going to take long for you going to finally stink enough where you're going to take a bath. Amen. You're going to finally do something about it. You're going to finally, it may, it may have hit everybody else three days before, but it's finally going to hit you, right? You love yourself. You love yourself. If you get cold, you're going to put a jacket on, right? You love yourself. We ought to get to a place, God help us get to a place like Mephibosheth with King David and how we ought to be with the Lord is that we love him more than we love ourselves and that we forget ourselves in longing for presence let me ask you this. When's the last time you've had a personal encounter with the king? When's the last time you had a personal, private fellowship with the king? We don't talk a lot about that much. Do you realize what takes place in here is not a private matter? This is public worship. This is congregational worship. But you will starve to death if this is all you get. You must have a private fellowship with the king. Maybe you need to forsake yourself to get it. It might mean forsaking some time of sleep, whether staying up late or getting up a little early. It may be forsaking a meal. Y'all realize fasting is not just about skipping a meal just to be skipping a meal. And I just... I, I, I'm just going to chase some rabbits, all right? Just, just, you know, fasting, a lot of people, they'll fast, but yet while they're supposed to be eating, they'll be sitting around talking at the table with everybody's eating, and, and, and then they call, call it fasting. Now, did you not eat? Sure, you didn't eat, but what you should have been doing, as far as biblical fasting, I'm not talking about this intermittent fasting to lose weight, and I'm all, whatever, that's good, that's well and good, and that's, if you want to do that, but watch this. Your fasting is, is this, I'm replacing that thing that takes care of my flesh with something that takes care of my spirit. I'm pushing away from the table, not just to sit around and fellowship with everybody, I'm pushing away from the table, go fellowship with God. And the idea behind fat, and listen, I know, I know we're living in such a soft generation. I, I ain't even thought about fasting, so, so blame the Lord on this, or just blame me. I just want to talk about it. We've got this soft generation, and people tell you, well, you can fast stuff other than food. Well, sure you can, but if you want to do a biblical fast, it'll have to be food. I got youth pastors that'll tell their young people, and I, I deal with this, and they'll say, well, my youth pastor said I could, I could fast my phone. Well, you need to fast your phone. You need to fastly break that thing, amen? But that's not what a Bible fast is. Here's, what a Bible fa here's why Bible fasting has to do with food. Are y'all ready for this? It's because you're going to get a hunger pain at some point. And what it is, God's got that built into you. And what it is, is when that hunger pain gets you, when you're fasting for the Lord, that hunger pain reminds you, you want God more than you want that meal. 
And so you're going to push away from that tape. Now I understand we got people that medically can't do that for a long, long time, but I promise you we're in America and most of us could fast something, a snack or something, you know. But, but what I'm saying is it's a longing for God. So I'm going to fast my TV. You probably ought to. I'm going to fast my cell phone. You should. I'm going to fast something else. Somebody said, well, I, I'm just fasting my favorite, my favorite food. Well, that's good, fasting your favorite food. But again, that hunger pain God put inside of you is supposed to remind you you're wanting God. Mephibosheth surely stunk, and he knew it. He didn't have no shoes on. And even in those days, he knew it. I'm four shoes, by the way. I thank God for socks and shoes. Amen. The Bible says that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel. Not flip-flopped. Amen. <laughs> you do what you want to, ladies, but you men walking up here in flip-flops, I will make fun of you. Okay? I ain't going to pick on these ladies. I don't know why you want to show your toes off. They ain't pretty. I don't care how many pedicures, manicures. I don't care what that Vietnamese dude said about them. They are ugly. Your feet are ugly, okay? And they stink. <laughs> Amen. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Y'all okay? Thank God for shoes. He didn't have no shoes on. He knew it, didn't he? He, he knew he didn't have no shoes on. He, he knew he hadn't, he hadn't uh, washed his clothes, trimmed his beard. But here's what he's doing. He's forsaking himself until he can fellowship with the Lord. He forgot himself. Listen, when, 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 there, when we get to that place where we deny ourselves, there'll be no question who the Lord of our life is. He, he, forsook, he forsook the world. He forgot himself. But watch this. He followed the king. This man's a cripple. He can't do it on his own. And when David had to leave for Jerusalem because Absalom's rebellion, Mephibosheth tried to get to David. That's what he says in verse 26. But... That wicked servant Ziba deceived Mephibosheth and went with David alone. And Ziba tried to discredit Mephibosheth in front of David. That's what, that's what Mephibosheth's saying. And we find that in 2 Samuel chapter 16 on the record of that conversation. But, but nonetheless, Mephibosheth gave his heart to the task of following the king. He wanted to follow the king so bad that he forsook himself until the king got back. Listen, true dedication manifests itself in a life that wholeheartedly follows the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't worry about the cost. It doesn't worry about the consequences. Listen, it's, it's enough that Jesus Christ saved me and he's called me to himself and I am willing to follow him wherever he leads me. That is the life of absolute dedication. That's what Mephibosheth's heart was. That's what Abraham did. When God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees, he didn't give him a, a, a latitude, longitude to put into his GPS. He, he didn't tell him much really at all. He just said, just follow me. I'm going to give you some land. All right. Abraham says, okay, I believe God. Peter, James, John, Andrew. What in the world's a fisher of men? They didn't know. 
Jesus did not give them a, a manual. Hey, here's a manual on being a fisher's of men. Read that, pray about it, see what you think about it, and let me know later. That ain't what happened. Peter, Andrew, James, and John didn't get to come spend a week with Jesus and then decide if they was going to follow him or not. They didn't do a test run. They didn't get to do an internship. It was, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of me. And the Bible said they dropped their nets. They dropped right where they were and they just followed him. They didn't know where he was going. They didn't know what he was going to do. They just wanted to follow the Lord. Hey, listen, true devotion does not ask why, does not ask how, does not ask where, what, or when. Here, here, true devotion says, yes, Lord. Here am I. Here I am. Whatever you want to do. Take me where you want to take me. Lead me where you want to lead me. Let me ask you this. Are you following where the Lord wants you to go? Are you doing what the Lord wants you to do? Or are you sitting around asking a bunch of questions? You, you think you've got some right to ask all these questions for God to give it all to you on paper. I learned a long time ago, you can't figure this thing out. You just got to figure it in. Amen. Love him with absolute devotion. Love him with absolute dedication. Lastly, and I'm done. Love him with absolute delight. Buddy, Mephibosheth looked rough. You think about it. Scraggly old beard, stinky old clothes, and bare feet. Man, he looked rough. But his heart, his heart was glowing with love he had for David. He witnessed. He shows us we ought to be doing while we wait for our king. To return. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but we're in the same shape as Mephibosheth. Even being saved at the king's table, treated like the king's son, Mephibosheth was still lame. You realize something, you're still lame. You can't do this on your own. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to stop trying and start trusting. I'm not taking away from responsibility we have, but I'm going to tell you what our responsibility is, is, yield on the Lord, is, is to yield ourselves to the Lord. He's our strength. He's our God. He is our all in all. And we're just like Mephibosheth. We can't do this on our own. Our King, our Lord, Jesus the one who died for us is in heaven. But the day is coming. And I believe it's very soon. He's going to return to this earth. And we will finally see the king. And notice the attitude that Mephibosheth had as he waited on the Lord or on King David to come back. And it's the same thing we ought to have in our heart and our mind as we wait for our Lord to come back. Number one, he looked for the king. Look at verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, neither dressed his feet, trimmed his beard, washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again 
and he was living in anticipation of the king's return. It consumed his thoughts. It controlled his life. He spent days waiting to hear the heralds declare, the king is coming, the king is coming. One day, our Lord's coming. He's coming back one day. And you know what we ought to be doing? We should be doing according to the word of God, looking for his appearing. We ought to be looking for that time where he's going to come back. We ought to be longing for the day we hear that heavenly shout and the trump of God. We ought to yearn for that midnight cry when the, when the, when the herald says, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. That's the day we ought to be living for, living in light of eternity. He looked for the king, but then he longed for the king. We, we see that in verse number 30. His heart's desire was to see the king. Verse 30 says, And Mephibosheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all. For as much as my lord the king has come again in peace unto his own house. He didn't care about that land. He didn't care about the money. All he cared was to see the face of the king. And that ought to describe our heart, our heart, our burning desire of our heart ought to be to see and to be with the Lord. Our longing ought to be the presence of the Lord here, but the presence of the Lord there as well. That's what John prayed for in the Isle of Patmos, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Desire Apostle Paul, that blessed hope. What about your heart? Is there a strong desire in your heart, strong longing in your heart to be with the Lord? David said it like this in Psalm 42, The heart panteth after the water, but so my soul thirsteth after He longed for the king. He looked for the king. He loved the king. He proved it. Look in verse 27. And he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my Lord, the King, as an, as, as an angel of God, do therefore what is good in thine eyes. Here's, here's Mephibosheth loved him so much, watch this, that he entrusted the king to make all the right decisions concerning him. You do whatever, thinks, whatever you think is right in your eyes, it'll be all right with me. Mephibosheth loved him so much, he put all of his trust in whatever the king said. He loved him. Let me ask you, do you love him enough to trust him with every part of your life? Every part. You trust him with your soul. You say, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I trust the Lord. But what about every other part of your life? He longed for him. He looked for him. He loved him. And lastly, not, not only did he look for him, he looked upon the king. He got to see him come back. You know, it wasn't all that he intended. I mean, David told him in verse 29, I, why, why speakest thou any more on this matter? Why are you talking about this still? I done told you how to fix all this. But, but, but Mephibosheth cared nothing, cared for nothing but the fact that he was now with his king. He finally got to put his eyes on the king. He looked for the king, but finally he got to look upon the king. Brother Tim, if you come play softly, one day we are going to get to see Jesus. We're going to get to see our king. One day we're going to get to see the one 
who climbed Calvary's hill to redeem our souls from hell. We're going to get to see the one, the face of the one that died for us, the one who rose again for us. One day we'll see his face and one day we'll worship him in the beauty of his holiness. When we get to heaven, you're not going to worry about the street or streets of gold. You're not going to worry about the crystal river or the clear river or the glassy sea. All this stuff we fuss about in songs and poems and stuff like that. You ain't going to worry about the mansion on the hilltop. You ain't going to care nothing about any of that other stuff. I'm going to tell you what the centerpiece of heaven is going to be is Jesus. And you're going to be like Mephibosheth one day. Let him have it all. Let them have everything that's up here. I just want you. Let him have everything. Now watch this now. Watch this. That's how it's going to be in heaven. I know, I know, I know, I know. Some of us, the only thing we desire in heaven, I'm not saying some of us here, I don't know anybody here, but some of us, the only thing people desire in heaven is that reunion with family members. And, I, and I'm thankful that, that that's, that's a reality. But y'all understand, that is not the main attraction of heaven. You're not going to be worried about who is there and who ain't there. Because wouldn't it be sad for you to think that some of your family is up there and them not be there? Because there's a sad reality. There's many of my family members won't be there. When we get to heaven, it's all going to be about Jesus. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. When we get to heaven, your heart will be at that point. I don't care about all that other stuff. It will be, I just want you. But how different is that going to be from your life down here? We, we're supposed to, listen, we're the body of Christ. He's the head. And the Bible says we're already seated in heavenly places. We're already supposed to be living like we're going to heaven. Our life's already supposed to match up with our head that's already in heaven. So what I'm saying is that if our life down here would get more focused on Him than ourselves, or more focused on Him than them, than everybody else, it'd probably be a whole lot easier transition when we get up there. There's going to be a lot. There's an old song that says that we're, we're going, uh, waving this world goodbye. There's going to be a lot of people waving this world goodbye with a tear in their eye. And I don't mean because they're happy to finally go. They're going to be sad for leaving this world. Because all you've ever done is put stock in this world. All you've done, I, the old timers used to say, you've done drove stakes too deep in this world. And I've said it multiple times. I'll say it again. You've not, drunk, you've not drove stakes in. You've poured footers in. We're living a day and hour. We're not, pour, we're not putting stakes in to build a tent in this world. We have poured footers. Some's even poured a basement, laid the concrete foundation. Buddy, you don't want to leave this world. But what a transition it would be for a Christian to love the Lord, love the King so much that his desire wasn't to have the stuff... His desire wasn't even have the to have the stuff he offers us. Just to have him. Just to have him. Do you love the king tonight?
Do you love him like you ought to love him tonight? The church at Ephesus had a great church. Done some great things. They stood against the evil. My goodness, buddy, they rebuked false teachers. They worked hard. But had, Jesus had one thing to say. One, just one. You left your first love. You don't love me like y'all love me. How about you tonight? Do you love the king? Let's all stand heads bowed and eyes closed. Do you love the king like you ought to love him?